Yes, we do. Every single Saturday on these airwaves. My name's Casey Steen, the voice of your valley. This is Citizen Watch on Merced's News Talk, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOF. Come on. Yes, we do. Every single Saturday. On these airwaves, at least we try. Can't believe me. Sometimes it's really an effort. Hey, welcome. Saturday, March 13th. We march along. It's going to be the middle of the month come Monday. That's for you, Marilyn. Every single Saturday on these airwaves. Try to bring you some original content. If you listen to the 6 a.m. hour, you heard none other than Vern Warnke. Sheriff Vern Warnke. Merced County Sheriff, our very own. Vern Warnke announced that, yes, he will be running in, uh, well, what is it? It's like less than two short years. Because remember, folks, we went to the March primary here in California, the Golden State. You know, I'm watching the sun come up right now. You talk about beautiful weather. What a beautiful weekend. The birds are on the windowsill looking at me. It's like a it's like a Dr. Seuss, but no, it's not really that bad. Anyway, Vern Warnke, our sheriff of the Golden State area of California, Merced, is going to run Merced County, center of the state. You know, if you cut out a map of California and you balanced it on a pencil, I think Chowchilla is right around the center of the state. So we're, we're, we're in the epicenter, my friends. And it was uh, monumental news, I think. For Sheriff Warnke to announce that he would be running. And again, you know, a March primary, that's going to come up. Of course, not in 20, uh, is it 2022? Is it 2022? Is it that soon? My shorts, I think I'm right. Uh, so anyway, we're, we're going to see probably some, some action, some movement, uh, throwing the hat in the ring. So again, great news from our sheriff. It was really good to hear from him. He caught up. Some of the local incidents over there at the jail, the jail break. Still, I, I think there's two individuals outstanding. Maybe it's down to one. It was kind of interesting, some of the uh, between-the-lines comments uh, the sheriffs make, uh, the sheriffs made, uh, indicating that there might be some personnel changes after that little incident. I don't know. But it was uh, so good to hear he's still supporting the First and Second Amendment. The First Amendment by coming in here and talking to us. And the Second Amendment with his issuance of CCWs here in the county for going on seven years now with absolutely no problems. We asked him, hey, any uh, any issues with issuing uh, so many permits for concealed weapons? And he said, no, absolutely none. I mean, there's been a couple, but nothing, uh, nothing newsworthy. Stuff that he's had taken care of. Uh, through the processes of renewal and that sort of thing. They're only good for two years. Uh, he indicated they do have a new system over there at the sheriff's office, a new uh, processor of the forms, if you will. And if you need help, again, the sheriff is more than willing to help. One of the things I thought was neat was even if you live in the city of Merced and you're not getting the satisfaction that you think you need or you 
want to, uh, you know, ask the sheriff his opinion. His, his line, his door, his office is always open. And he will take those concerns to heart because he represents, as he said, the entire county. It's not like the cities are cut out and, oh, we don't go there. No, that, that's, that's not true at all. You see sheriff's vehicles. I see them all over the streets of Merced. Of course, a lot of them live here and the main office is here, but still, they will respond and take care of issues within the city. There's a lot of interagency cooperation that goes on. And there's some problems that uh, the sheriff is just better suited for. And working with those other agencies in uh, that effort is necessary, but they need to hear from the people. And the sheriff, again, his door is always open. He said, you know, if you call dispatch, he doesn't want to hear, well, that's not our jurisdiction or that's not our problem. He wants to know about that. So, again, I think that it was just refreshing to hear from Sheriff Vern Warnke what's going on over there, the strides he's made. He still has some concerns with facilities. Obviously, the jail is very dated. Getting monies for new facilities is difficult. And it doesn't extend just to the sheriff. As you know, the city of Merced has wanted to build a new police station so badly yeah, they don't even know where they want to put it now. They have kind of an idea. I don't even know if they have an idea, but uh, no land. We used to have some land, had several plots, uh, sold them, hopefully for a profit, but still no real solid plans. The sheriff has the land and has the bond, finally, unencumbered, finally, that he can uh, work with, but still going forward with personnel and that sort of thing. Very, very interesting. We looked at the national scene the administration, the, you know, you wonder what four years of the Trump presidency cost. $1.9 trillion so far. That's the uh, payoff, the payback, the wish list that was passed. Uh, when I say along party lines, even a couple of Democrats jump ship. The Republicans, they saw through the, well, I don't know what, the, the purple haze, purple rain, whatever was going on over there. In the uh, spending department, only 9% for really COVID-related relief. In my mind, that's less than 10%. That means 90-some percent is uh, pure pork. And the thing that's, uh, I guess, even more frustrating is, what did our own congressman bring, or maybe more pointedly not bring, to Merced County? Once again, a disappointment on that front. But I guess there's going to be $57 million, a little under $60 million given to the county of Merced, uh, the county seat over there at 2222 M Street. Whether that will go for public safety, I don't know. And then 20, what was it, about 20 some million, 25, 27 million to the city of Merced. It didn't have a breakdown for the other five incorporated cities in the county. I don't know. If they will be getting a amount, I would imagine it would be somewhat lesser than Merced if there was an amount based on population size, that sort of thing. I know in Fresno, Jerry Dyer, the new mayor, the former police chief, very conservative individual, uh, was praising uh, getting their money. I think they got 57 almost $60 million basically made up for their deficit. Now, Merced under the leadership of Venus Rodriguez, our new financial director, been in the saddle there for a couple of years now, just given a, I believe, a three-year contract. 
Of course, uh, some very conservative policies enacted by the last mayor. I don't think we're in a deficit, but we'll take the $27 million, I'm sure. Again, the stimulus package offered by the administration, uh, you know, is, is welcome, I, I guess. I guess it's going to bail out a lot of municipalities that have had pension issues, pension problems. I don't know what this does, if anything, for Atwater. I hope it's not up to the state to distribute money to Atwater. They've seemed to have ended up on the short end of of those checks uh, in a lot of cases. But again, that's one of the things that uh, happens when you make a stand and people don't like it sometimes. And who knows, maybe the business taxes that they've collected have outweighed any sort of COVID relief they may have gotten. But again, the COVID relief, it looks like it's going to still be coming down the pipeline, it was amazing to me to read that a uh, family of three, mom and dad are on unemployment. I think the average was given about 700 a week. Well, you get about 400 and then with the $300 extra, the uh, $1,400 checks that have been coming in, whatever, the those are per, per child also. Child tax credits, it was, it was somewhere uh, just south of $100,000 a year. For basically not working, I tell you, this this uh, relief, I hope, hasn't uh, really destroyed the ethic of going back to work when the work is available, whenever that may be. As you know, we're still in the purple tier. Not the greatest thing, especially for the businesses. A lot of businesses have justified the uh, orders to stay closed. We heard our own sheriff last week. 8 o'clock saying, hey, if you're if you're on the mat, if you're down, if you're going down for the count, you have to go down fighting, and he doesn't blame you for that. There hasn't been uh, any real enforcement that you've read about that's been necessary here in the county, and I'm sure that will continue, hopefully, with the metrics changing to, I believe, Dr. Sullivan over at County Health said we're going to go to 10 per 100,000 residents, 10 positive cases per 100,000 residents, and that will get us into the red tier almost immediately. So hopefully that will happen next week, probably Tuesday. And then from there, it's uh, what, there's yellow, uh, red, purple, or excuse me, I guess yellow is after the red. And then, and then we're out of it. Then we're done, I hope. I don't know, it seems like there's, Always something that stands in the way. Of course, the vaccine distribution here in Merced County continues to improve the equity metric. All of our zip codes, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, qualify for this extra equity metric where we get more vaccines, more doses to try to help those folks that are suffering the most. And then, of course, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. A little bit of a delay, but that'll be coming also, and that's just, a, as you know, a one-shot a one shot deal. So things are happening, uh, you know, here in Merced County, good things. Again, it was nice to catch up with Sheriff Warnkey to discuss uh, some of those, because he, he really, law enforcement touches upon all of these social issues, the fabric, the COVID, I mean, the business closures, the park closures, all of these things have had a tremendous effect on the Sheriff's Department, the Sheriff's staff. They've had their own outbreaks. If you, if you don't know, they've had a couple of stations that have suffered uh, the requisite number 
of uh, infections, positive cases to call it a, a workplace outbreak. But again, the sheriff has been able to continue. What What is going to happen in the future? Again, that was some of the things we talked to the sheriff about. We didn't get really a feel on if this public safety tax would be floated in the next election, which again will be coming up next year. Uh, the midterm midterms, as they call them, the 2022 midterm elections. It's hard to believe that our congressmen and our assemblymen have to run basically every 24 months. It's almost a perpetual election cycle. And again, our assemblyman has really done a great job. Adam Gray uh, has done a wonderful job in representing us at the state level, our interests. Hopefully, he'll be successful, especially when it comes to water. Now that the irrigation season, we've started our second week, the canals will start to be full. The rain we got, if you can call it that, was not a lot, my friends. Very, very, very uh, minimal. We're way below where we need to be uh, this time of year already. But again, it's early enough, <laughs> I hope, in March. But you look at this weather, and it certainly doesn't give you a lot of hope. The trees, are, the, the blossoms are out, the bees are buzzing. So hopefully we won't get any super cold weather, but we could certainly use a few more inches of rain. Anyway, we'll talk about the city council meeting. There's one coming up in Merced on Monday. A lot of things are going to be discussed there. There was a city council meeting in Atwater this past Monday. Not too many things uh, discussed there, but it was kind of uh, kind of interesting. So we will talk about that after we get done with the break. And we got to get ready for the break. I tell you, I got to do everything myself. But again, I really want to appreciate, I really want to thank Sheriff Warren Key for coming in last Saturday. For last Saturday's show, he actually didn't come in on Saturday. We recorded it, I believe, on Thursday. But again, hopefully we'll have him in sooner than later. And also, we're going to try to bring in more guests this spring if we can. But we're out of time for the first segment of Citizen Watch. My name's Casey Steed, the voice of your valley. On Merced's News Talk, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOF, KYOS. <laughs> we'll be right back. Saturday morning, Citizen Watch. That's right, I'm Casey Steed, the voice of your valley. I'm Merced's News Talk. 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS. It's uh, March 13th, Saturday, the second Saturday in March. Can you believe how quick, how quick the month goes by? It's just unbelievable, the year, really. I mean, it just seems like we started it just a moment ago. You know, we were talking in the first part of the uh, 8 o'clock hour, the last segment, trying to get started here, trying to get my motor running about how soon the election comes up, uh, the midterms, the, uh, you know, <laughs> it's another cycle already. It's another cycle already. Of course, uh, there'll be a couple of city council races here in the city of Merced, uh, a couple of supervisor races. 
Uh, it just seems like there were some just decided, doesn't it? But again, that's what happens when you have a March primary and a November, or excuse me, a March, what do they call it, general? A March primary and a November general. That's what I'm trying to trying to remember. It's interesting how the city council races in Atwater and Merced. They just don't even worry about a primary. There's no primary. Even though they did have some tax measures on the ballot. Where's my microphone? You know, when the power goes out here. We're waiting to see if the power goes out tomorrow. It's gone out the last two weekends in a row downtown here. I don't know what's going on. We paid the bill. It was everybody. Hey, let me just uh, read some notes I have here. What is it? And I'm not trying to be cruel, my friends, but what is it about drunks, people that are inebriated, intoxicated, under the influence, going into Bear Creek at Parsons? It's unbelievable. You know, there was unfortunate loss of life earlier this year. It seems to me it was around the first of the year I was on my way to work. And it was a van into the creek right there at the end of Parsons. There's supposed to be a bridge there someday. Maybe never. Probably not. And these folks were in the van. Young lady, turns out, was driving right over the creek. Almost. Hit the uh, bank on the other side. She lost her life. There was a celebration of life, a memorial type of thing that the mother gave. I was talking to somebody who happened to be walking that day uh, when one of the relatives was there and made the comment to my friend that, you know, should have should have known better, uh, had done this before, and very, very, very sad uh, situation, very, very sad consequence to behavior that evidently uh, was not, uh, you know, <clears throat> had happened. And then we see this individual the other day that goes into the creek, uh, same location. I don't know what it is about that location. I believe this was the middle of the daytime, but again, when you're impaired. So it just goes to show you to be very, very careful out there on the mean streets, my friends. I'll tell you, I see things. <laughs> you see things driving around. It just makes you wonder how people got their license. And then you realize maybe they don't have one because that does happen out there. But again, the, uh, you know, there's always been, you know, people have always gone into the creek. I remember we had a ex-DA, Gordon Spencer. He found him in the creek one day. Thank God some guy was going by fishing or something, found Found Mr. Spencer walking up the bank, rescued him. But it's happened over the years, and unfortunately, people do lose their lives in that in that irrigation canal in Bear Creek. It's it's pretty deep. Those banks are are steep, and uh, it's hard to believe people actually camp on those. Let's see what else are we talking about here? Library, uh, Dr. Seuss. You know, it's kind of interesting, Dr. Seuss. Ted Geisel, the guy that uh, the Geisel family lived in San Diego. Of course, Dr. Seuss himself was uh, had passed away several years ago, but his wife uh, was very influential in the social circles of San Diego, donated a lot of money to a lot of uh, very, very uh, good causes. Uh, what do they call that? Philanthropy, uh, just, you know, medical centers, all kinds of different things under the Dr. Seuss, uh, Ted Geisel name and her name, too. So it's just really kind of uh, interesting that a lot of the good things that Dr. Seuss did, the money was used not for himself, for his own personal enrich enrichment or the family's enrichment, but but for children and, and for uh, for those good public type of things. It's really sad to see some of the pushback against some of the books, the cancel culture, if you will. I know I had 
my uh, collection of Dr. Seuss books. And there was a point that my mother asked to get rid of everything, you know, as far as uh, cleaning up and organizing, spring cleaning. Hey, let's take those to Goodwill. And those those were going to be one of the casualties. And I just couldn't part with those because they meant so much. And you know how much reading uh, it means to me. And again, I needed all the help I could get. And that was one of the that was one of the things that parents would do back then, because these books weren't uh, necessarily something that were just out there or given to you. They had to be bought, and it was a learning tool and a learning aid, and it was uh, done in a in a whimsical, cartoonish way with very very uh, you know strange uh, verbiage, if you will. If you're not used to Dr. Seuss, if you've never written it and the the rhyming and things, but it was a great way to teach you. Addiction and that sort of things, words, what they meant, context. And I think that kind of gets lost. You know, they look at the story. It's like cartoons now. Uh, I don't think Looney Tunes uh, is, is shown on Saturday morning. It's all this. There's this cartoon on KPBS channel. There's four KPBS channels, and one of them's kind of primarily kids. Man, I, I just don't see how parents can make their kids watch that all the time. It's just absolutely the most blandest, boringest, vanilla. There's nothing going on there. It's, uh, I, think, I think there should be some fun. But again, Dr. Seuss was a learning a tool, a learning aid, and did a lot of good. And I just wanted to mention the, uh, the connection in Southern California, uh, all the good things they did down there. Let's get into the City of Merced Council meeting that's going to happen this coming Monday. Kind of go backwards here. A lot of things going on. They're going to start right off the bat with a joint study session between the City Council and the Recreation and Parks Commissioner. Now, these are the commissioners. I believe there's seven commissioners, uh, one for each council district, which there are six of, and then an at-large appointed by uh, the mayor, or I think anybody can appoint them if, you know, because they're at-large. Uh, but p- typically, each council district appoints somebody, and there's seven people. And they report to the Parks and Recreation director, which there is not a permanent director right now. Joey Chavez, uh, as my understanding, is no longer at the city of Merced, Frank Quintero, the economic development director, has stepped has stepped in uh, temporarily into those shoes. And I know they are looking for somebody. I think they have put out a solicitation uh, for a parks and recreation director. And, of course, this is a big deal. And one of the things that Joey did before he left, well, or, or was asked to leave, I don't know what happened. But before Joey was no longer there, maybe that's the best way to put it, He made a presentation about a participatory budgeting process within the Parks and Recreation uh, Division that came from some of the Parks and Recreation uh, Commissioners. And it was not met very favorably. It was uh, really, I don't don't know, it was kind of a harebrained idea. In my mind, we talked about it at the time, not to, you know, poo-poo the participatory budgeting process completely. But why? I mean, that's why we have Park Commissioners. That's what their jobs is. Their job is uh, city council people. I think we have no shortage of projects that we would like to do. Again, it's shortage of resources. And this participatory budgeting process was going to spend $80,000 or more of resources to decide how to allot $40,000 of resources to projects uh, decided by, quote, unquote, the public. And again, we have a representative forum of government. In the fact that we elect people, we were just talking about when the elections are going to be. And I think the time to talk about all of this stuff is during campaigns, during elections, during meetings, 
to tell your representatives what you want. So this meeting that's going to happen at the uh, start of the city council meeting Monday night at 6 o'clock, this joint study session, I'm, I'm calling it a summit. This is like the G7. This is Reykjavik. You know, this is detente. This is getting together and having that direct dialogue, which I think was missing because the council uh, was not going for the participatory budgeting. They really didn't understand. I think you have some members of the Parks and Recreation Commission that, uh, well, this will be good. This will be good to get it out in the open, if you will. Now, I hope they're in person. I think it's all going to be Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. I don't know. I know the, the council uh, folks will be in chamber. But again, I think this is necessary to kind of clear the air. One, what direction are we going? Because youth services are huge. They always have been. This cannabis tax, the weed money, uh, the marijuana money, that, that's divided up among youth services. 2020-20, uh, the Bawomany plan, as it's affectionately called, 40% to be determined that could all go to youth services, and there's been a desire to do a lot of that. They've already allotted some money to youth services ahead of that, based on those uh, anticipated revenues coming in. So right off the bat, a joint study session between the city council and the park and rec commissioners. I think this is necessary, and it'll be interesting to see what goes on. Then it's all blah, blah stuff, consent. Consent, let's see, nothing else here. Legal services. It's amazing how much lawyers cost. They're adding $60,000 to a contract, making it 150. This is for professional services, helping out with uh, Stephanie Dietz, the new city manager, things like that, that she needs help. Uh, they have self, city self-insured retention for employment risk management authority. Again, $90,000. Uh, additional compensation to the agreement with a professional corporation that helps us out with those issues. Uh, kind of uh, on the home front, literally, in District 2, 33 single-family lots, uh, final subdivision map, they call it Cypress Terrace 7, Phase A. This is over on uh, Gerard Avenue, west of M Street. Again, District 2, 33 single-family homes. Now, I don't know if any of those are affordable, quote-unquote, designated affordable or not. But again, more inventory. And on the west side, may I say. Uh, the second item, consent G8. Well, it's not the second item, but the second one I'm talking about. Another final subdivision map. This is Stone Ridge. This is a Hostetler development. I'm not sure if Cypress Terrace is a Hostetler development also. This is for 32 single-family lots, one less than over there in District 2. But again, that same side of town, south, uh, east side of town, west side of town, excuse me. And uh, 32, 32 homes over there. Those are going to be located uh, G Street between Winder Avenue and Mission Avenue. So that's good news to hear that. And then there's a really interesting item. It's an adoption of a resolute. This is a consent item, G11. The Housing Successor Agency, the RDA, Redevelopment Agency, they have surplus land, and they want to have the council provide them direction to get rid of this land, and they have a really nice presentation, a PowerPoint. I don't know if they're going to go over it. It's back, I don't know if it's a presentation. It's a request for proposal, basically. 
But the city has... How many lots is it here? The city of Merced and uh, acted as a housing successor to the Merced Redevelopment Agency. And they want to dispose of 10 lots of vacant land ranging in size from 2,100 to 20,000 square feet. The lots are scattered throughout the city with nine sites near downtown Merced and one near the Merced Regional Airport. The housing successor, which is the city of Merced, invites proposals from qualified nonprofit or for-profit developers to develop affordable housing on the sites with income limits up to 80% of the area median income. Now, I'll talk about this after the break because we're coming up against the second break. But this is a really, I think, a great idea. This is something that the city can do. It's within their purview to get rid of this property, declare it surplus, and to stipulate, I think it has to be used for affordable housing. And this has been a big, big discussion item on the city council uh, for a long time, uh, very recently with what they call inclusionary zoning, which, again, putting it on the backs of the developer is one thing in zoning ordinances. But I think this uh, proposal for these 10 lots is a great start to see what we could do with, uh, with these lots. But we'll be right back after the break. My name is Casey Steed, the voice of your valley on Merced's News Talk, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS Citizen Watch, Saturday morning. Here we are, Saturday morning. Uh, no, don't do that. I, I'm just happy if you listen. I don't want you to get cut. Hey, here we are, Saturday morning. I think I said that. Saturday, 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 March 13th. Sabado Gigantica. March 13th, 2021. Third and final segment, Citizen Watch. A lazy Saturday. Is it lazy? I don't know. You, you tell me. You tell me. Hey, here we are. We were going through the city of Merced council agenda, agenda that's going to happen Monday, 6 o'clock. We were talking about a really interesting item where they're going to dispose of some surplus property, 10 properties. The old RDA, the successor, successor of the Merced Redevelopment Agency. This is when we used to get money back from Sacramento to do nice things. Adam Gray's office is over there. Uh, the old Southern Pacific Depot, I believe that was RDA money. Oh, the theater downtown, I think that was RDA money. There was a lot of, a lot of projects that uh, we were able to help out uh, for the good of the city. Redevelopment, which is always good. Track people downtown, business, commerce, which is what cities and municipalities are supposed to do. You know, the two things, public safety and foster an environment for free enterprise, private enterprise, you and I, to make a living, to thrive. And then, of course, they skim a little, get the uh, get the VIG off the top so that they can keep running, you know, the fire trucks, all those things. Because they're not expected necessarily to make money, but they need, they need money. But you have to have an economy. And one of the things with an economy is affordable housing for the workers. And that has been a problem here in Merced. Let me read from this report. It's a really good report. It's actually a request for proposal 
I wish they would have made this into a PowerPoint. This is on the consent item, uh, the consent calendar. This is G11. I have in my notes here, less pages than opening a pot dispensary. In other words, when you, you should see the application for opening up a pot dispensary here in town. They had it covered every way from Sunday. This is only 14 pages. 14? Yeah, this proposal. And it's mostly uh, verbiage, you know, kind of uh, conceptual stuff, what they like to see. So let me continue to read. The housing successor, the city, invites proposals from qualified nonprofit or for-profit developers. And that's this is great because this, this gets the public, uh, the private sector involved. For-profit, private. To develop affordable housing on the sites with income limits of up to 80% of the area median income. The housing successor or the city, will consider proposals to develop any number of the properties, i.e. all 10 properties, a single property, or any combination thereof. So flexibility. Sites could be assembled to accommodate a scattered site development project for the purpose of securing tax credit financing. So in other words, even though the sites are scattered, you could have the same type of product, same developer, same uh, idea as far as helping the need, affordable housing, and that may get you some financing, even though the sites aren't contiguous, connected, touching. The housing successor, the city, would contribute the land. Now, now isn't that nice? Contribute the land. That's a big deal, folks. You can have all the bright ideas you want, but if you don't have somewhere to build it. So the successor would contribute the land through a long-term, low-cost land lease or other terms negotiated with each selected developer or developers or blah, 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 blah. It should be noted that since these properties are housing successor properties, they have been declared as exempt from the Surplus Properties Land Act requirements pursuant to government code section, blah, 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 which nobody cares, right? Well, it's important because you don't have to jump through more hoops. In other words, the city's gone through this. Phaedra, our crack legal team over there, They've determined that, you know, they, they comply with this long section. I'm not going to read, but I will read on from the, from the proposal. Based on median household incomes, 48% of households, this is here in Merced, cannot afford home ownership, while 44% spend more than 30% of their income on rental housing. To compound matters, that means to make it worse, a majority of the city's residents are renters, 58%. Now, that's only 2% away from almost 60. That's a lot. 60 is more than half, right? But 69% of the housing stock are single-family homes. So look at, <laughs> again, you look at the housing stock, you look at the renters, wh wh where are they being forced to rent? And, and what are those rents? You know, what is a single-family home when 69% when of the housing stock is single-family homes? That means you don't have a lot of apartments, you don't have a lot of condos. Other alternative forms of housing. Periodically, all cities and counties in the state are required to submit annual progress reports that document the jurisdiction's progress in meeting regional housing needs assessment, the RENA. The most recent RENA period, 2015 to 2023, Merced issued, now that's, that's 15, 2015 to 2023. That's more than five years. That's, uh, that's, five, six, seven, eight. that's eight years. Merced issued permits for 227 units. None, none, zero, which were in the low income or below categories. Far more are needed 
to satisfy the growing demand, I turn the page, for housing in this city. The city's 2020 consolidated plan also identified affordable rental housing as a major need in the city. So again, these surplus lands could be used to build apartments, uh, affordable rental housing because it's a major need. The 10, uh, the 10 parcels of vacant land available under this RFP request for proposal are located on I Street, 18th Street, 19th Street, and South R Street. Sites 1 through 4 are contiguous, in other words, they touch, while 5 through 10 are separated, meaning they don't touch. The city's downtown area encompasses sites 1 through 9. No specific plan or special zoning ordinance covers these sites. Site 10, however, is located in the southern part of the city near the Merced Regional Airport. That would be District 2, which we read before, where they're developing 33 private sites on another agenda item. This region is part of the South Merced Community Plan, which seeks to revitalize and guide future development of the southern part of the city, but is not classified as a specific plan under state law. Therefore, Site 10 is subject to the city's regular zoning ordinances. So there's all kinds of neat things that can happen. One of the sites, the cluster of sites located near 18th Street, they go on or just a few blocks from 99 uh, by Yosemite High School, Sequoia High School, Merced Rail Station. You know, really all of these sites are within walking distance uh, where you don't, you know, I mean, transportation isn't a huge deal. Let's put it that way. It's not like you're out there in El Nido on a little, uh, you know, extra parcel of land the city ha happens to own. So this is a big deal. I hope there is a lot of uh, interest uh, by developers. Let me just read you where some, in case you're out there living next door to one of these lots and you're like, you're like, I wonder if that vacant lot next to me is one of the city sites. Could be 1823 I Street, 1815 I Street, 205 West 18th, 211 West 18th, 202 West 19th. 1744 I Street, 49 West 18th. Boy, that's right off a of G, isn't it? 150 West 19th, 26 West 18th. And then the one over there by the at uh, by the airport is 73 South R Street. That's a 20,000 square foot lot. Like I say, these range from 2,100 all the way up to 20,000. R16, man, you could probably put more than a couple of houses on that. Maximum height, 35 foot. The other one's 40 feet. Setbacks are only six feet, five feet in, in the case over there on South R Street. So when you look at what the city has been talking about with the tiny homes, the accessory dwelling units, uh, modular homes, whatever you want to call it, where you can put higher density on these lots where it's encouraged, I think this would be a wonderful project. And I would like to think that a uh, for-profit developer could come in here and, and really uh, do something. Again, if these were apartments, I don't know why you, couldn't, uh, why you couldn't build apartments over there. Like I say, there's several different funding vehicles for uh, low-income housing that really helps developers pay to develop these housing units. They're set aside for a number of years, in some cases 55 years, for people with the lower, in the lower-income brackets to make sure that this housing stock doesn't go away. In other words, it's not developed with city monies. It's not uh, squandered in any way. So, again, they're going to have some uh, informational things for folks. Uh, they're going to have questions regarding the RFP uh, not addressed in the informational con conference, which will be held on April 1st. 
excuse me, April 15th at 2 o'clock. Uh, you can call City Hall to find out where that's going to be. But again, April 15th at 2 o'clock, there'll be an informational conference, and there'll be another one April 29th. The bids are due over there on March, excuse me, May 20th, 2021 is the deadline. So really exciting what could happen here with these uh, spare lots. I had talked to Scott McBride about some of the city inventory. Yeah, proposals must be received by May 20th at 5 p.m. No submittals will be accepted after 5 p.m. So again, get those over to Scott McBride, City of Merced by May 20th. Scott and I had talked a couple of years ago with uh, one of the great nonprofits here that we've all heard about, Habitat for Humanity. They do affordable housing in that they have a lot of sweat equity. They actually get the homeowner involved. But it's more of, again, a homeowner model, not so much rentals. They don't necessarily manage the property. It's more of a turnkey process. And there's a lot of uh, hurdles to overcome with that. And so this is a kind of an offshoot of that, I think, where we have this inventory kind of just laying around. And it also really could get into the um, abatement of abandoned properties, which is one of the items on the list or on the consent calendar coming up here, 1050 Rambler Road. Some property that was uh, in terrible disrepair, just an eyesore in the neighborhood, uh, finally was cleared, demoed, and now they're going after the property owners for the, the compensation of costs. I think it's about $50,000, $60,000. In some of these cases, it's easier, I think, for the city to foreclose as opposed to get money that may not be there. I'm not saying that's the situation in this case. But the point being is they can acquire these properties and do this infill development or turn it around and give it to a nonprofit or to a developer to maybe help some of these affordable housing situations. So these 10 lots up for grabs to one or 10 different people, again, it'd be nice to see maybe a, a consortium of uh, builders uh, get them done quickly, get them done fast, because the need is there. It, it's there. There's no there's no shortage of need, as as most people know. Uh, going on the city council agenda, G9, uh, is an acceptance of the 2020 general plan annual report summarizing the status of Merced Vision 2030 general plan and the steps taken to implement the general plan policies and the acceptance of the 2020 housing element. And in this Again, uh, gets back to this regional housing needs assessment and where we are, quite frankly, where we where we not are, where we're not at. One one of the ways we get around that is we have the land to build affordable housing. Well, yeah, that's that's true in a lot of cases, but the actual inventory is not being built, and that's the that's the problem. Uh, item G10 is a finding for public convenience of necessity for a new 7-Eleven gas station. Inconvenience market going up there across from Rayleigh's, the northeast corner of Yosemite and G Street. As you know, that's going to be a big commercial development up there. And one of the first items to go in is the gas station, and they want to be able to sell alcohol. And they have to find a need for a public convenience because Merced is one of those areas we keep a tight lid on the number of liquor licenses we issue. The Type 20 license, there's one. For every 2,500 residents, and this uh, application falls under needing that special approval, and so they're going to get that hopefully Monday, because you really can't, you know, these businesses really need to be able to sell alcohol. You see that with the dollar stores, the dollar generals, beer, wi beer and wine licenses, 
any gas station. And of course, that's that's getting out there by the UC, right across the street from the college. So that's the concerns is uh, making sure it's not going to be a public nuisance. And usually that uh, takes law enforcement and all those type of things that you need to, uh, you know, patrol a city. That's why those fees are so important. We'll try to cover the rest of the city council meeting in the bonus half hour. Also, maybe get into the city of Atwater council meeting that happened last Monday. But we're out of time for this hour of Citizen Watch. My name's Casey Steed, the voice of your valley. On Merced's News Talk 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS. So happy to have you here with us. We'll see you later. You and I. We look for love, no time for tears. Wasted water's all that is. And it don't make no flowers.